Welcome to the Lancet Respiratory Medicine Podcast. I'm Aaron Van Dorn. Today on the podcast, I spoke with Dr. Ignacio Rubio, professor and biochemist in the Department of Anesthesiology at Jena University Hospital in Jena, Germany, about his comprehensive review of the pathophysiology and phenotypes of COVID-19, the first in a series of four papers about the pathophysiology of acute disease. Dr. Rubio, acute respiratory manifestations are the most common feature of severe COVID-19. Can you briefly describe the main features of COVID-19-related pneumonia and lung damage? Well, essentially, the main features of uh, pneumonia in general are always the same, hypoxemia, so low oxygen, low oxygenation of blood. And, and what, we've, what we see in COVID-19 is that this is, there is an extreme hypoxemia. So probably the major feature is that this hypoxemia is really, really very extreme, so very pronounced. And the other major feature is that this is not due to a, a bad compliance or to, to bad breathing or respiratory compliance, but rather it appears that the failure is on the vascular side, so the perfusion, the gas exchange. This uh, seems also to be a major difference also to other pneumonias. This has to do also, this of course is, um, has also implications for therapy as uh, standard strategies to increase ventilation very often have uh, shown no success in COVID-19. What are the key extrapulmonary clinical features of COVID-19? That's an important point, and this is something where we difficult to, to answer really as, an, as new mutants of the virus arise, and because these also appear to have slightly different clinical manifestations. So uh, clearly, probably the most uh, major or most important, also from a clinical point of view, extrapulmonary feature are cardiovascular prothrombotic problems, so procoagulopathy problems, hemodynamic, and also neurological manifestations. There is, of course, many, many more. So this is also an important feature. COVID-19 can really affect many different organs. Plus, many of us know this uh, anosmia, so the loss of smell and taste. So there is a lot of things that go along COVID-19. And I also would like to point out, as the very last or very important point, the long COVID or after or sort of protracted uh, sequelae of, of patients that had suffered COVID-19, which we are only beginning to understand. You explained that a distinctive pathophysiology centered on vascular endothelial cells might underlie the clinical features of COVID-19. Can you describe in simple terms how endotheliopathy and coagulopathy might contribute to COVID-19? Yes, yes. This is probably a very important point. So essentially, as, as mentioned before, it appears that COVID-19 affects in particular the vascular side of organs. And of course, affecting the, the vascular or endothelial linings, uh, this compromises microcirculation and it compromises essentially the perfusion of organs. Plus, in addition, it of course uh, contributes to the propagation of, of the inflammation. If you have a, an injured endothelium, it will also compromise the immune response, for example, which depends very much on a healthy endothelium. So uh, we think that this is a very important point and very important issue in, in COVID-19. So in addition, there is also the fact that uh, there is increasing evidence that uh, COVID-19 can actually infect endothelial cells directly. So this could be really a direct effect of the virus on the endothelial cells. You described the range of cytokine and non-cytokine mediators that have been implicated in COVID-19, in addition to the features of the cellular immune response to SARS-CoV-2. How might these features be of the host response to infection contribute to the clinical features and clinical course of COVID-19? COVID-19 probably is a fantastic, from an academic point of view, incredible opportunity to understand the importance of the host response. So, what, I mean, what we have learned from sepsis research in the last decades, uh, we have realized that the host response is probably key to understand uh, the pathology. 
Now in sepsis, of course, you can always blame it on the different pathogens and different courses of sepsis. That's not one case of sepsis is like the other one. But now we have a pandemic situation which one and the same pathogen, one virus, and with so many different outcomes. You know, we have the full spectrum in outcomes from asymptomatic to lethal outcomes. So essentially, this in our eyes is a beautiful example of the importance of the host response, really how the host, so the infected person, patient, response to this virus is really key. Essentially, the host response is there to, to protect us and to uh, eradicate, in this case, the virus. And this is obviously insufficient or not, not efficient in the severe cases of the disease. And in addition, uh, the host response can become so dysfunctional that it can induce harm by itself. So in addition to not being sufficient to eradicate the virus, it may also harm uh, the patient if it is dysfunctional or not appropriate. So uh, we think that understanding the host response to the viral infection is one very, very key uh, thing for the future. What progress has been made in identifying the clinical or mechanistic subphenotypes of COVID-19 that could help to guide the management of patients with the disease? Yeah, of course, this is a major aim in, in the clinical management of COVID-19 to understand subphenotypes, to be able to stratify patients, to subclassify them and to guide treatments. I would say that we have not really much, have had many advances in this direction. I mean, also, even though there is, we have we understand quite a bit about COVID-19, it's really hard to, to, to find uh, subphenotypes of COVID-19. There is some indications from genetic screens that interferon signaling could be one key pathway which could be used to distinguish different patient cohorts and different patient subphenotypes of COVID-19. But overall, we, we don't really understand this very well. I mean, we know also that the load, the viral load is an important factor. So clearly monitoring the viral load in the blood, for example, 80% of about 80% of severely sick patients have a high viral load in the blood. This is important. And also to, to monitor inflammatory markers because some of the most efficient treatments we have these days are anti-inflammatory, so to guide those. On the other side, this, this must be done with, uh, with caution also, because these patients are, of course, also at higher risk for superinfection. So all anti-inflammatory treatments must be really be monitored carefully. So you know, the bottom line is that we have not really a big understanding about mechanistic subphenotypes these days. And this is also something uh, that we need to address in the months and years to come. You emphasize the dangers of viewing COVID-19 in terms of pre-existing pathophysiological concepts. Can you describe key ways in which COVID-19 differs from respiratory failure of other causes and what those differences might mean in terms of management and clinical outcomes for patients with COVID-19? The key aspect here again is the, the different quality of the of the pneumonia that we that we see in COVID-19 patients and that clinicians report. That is that there is a, a problem in perfusion uh, rather than in the on the ventilatory arm. This is quite different from other types of pneumonias. Essentially, the point of uh, viewing of, of being careful in not viewing COVID-19 in terms of pre-existing concepts, as you as you ask in your question, is about uh, learning of what uh, of what we have or not doing the same mistakes again, as or to put it in this way, like in, we've done in other, in other diseases, like for example, in sepsis, essentially COVID-19 is a viral sepsis. And so we have learned quite a bit about what we should be take care of in the last couple of decades, actually, and of sepsis research. And I think uh, we should not forget that when, when it comes to COVID-19. So for example, about the role of hyperinflammation versus immune suppression. 
so the issue of the cytokine storm in, in as much uh, hyperinflammation contributes to the pathology. I think this is an important thing that we should consider. And uh, so to learn from the, the lessons of sepsis research in the last decades. We've learned a huge amount about COVID-19 over the past year. What would you identify as the priorities for research to better understand the pathophysiology and phenotypes of this new disease entity? The very end of your question, this new disease entities also makes a point. Uh, so we are really confronted with a, with a new pathology. And we have seen some really unique features. So I tried to describe some of them before in previous questions. So we really need to understand quite a bit still. And I think now the time is really to go to the bench, to the, to the lab, and to do really basic research about COVID-19. And the aim, I think, is to understand the host response. So how the cells, endothelial cells, for example, and endothelia, or, or also immune cells, lung epithelial cells, how they respond to, a, to the infection. And for that, of course, we need to develop models. And again, here, it's important to look back at our experience with sepsis and to really carefully design appropriate models to study the host response against COVID-19. So essentially, we need to, to investigate mechanisms using appropriate models. And I think that's the way to go. That's the way we should go to learn more about COVID-19. Dr. Rubio, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. I thank you very much.